Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Our culture loves to tell stories, and sometimes the stories that culture tells us actually remind us of the story that God tells us. Sometimes culture has these vague memories, almost like a distant, uh, hazy dream. They don't always get it right, but sometimes they point us back to the story, the main story, the scriptural story. Sometimes they, they do an okay job of that. And we as parents, and, and even in our own lives, adults, we need to learn to filter and interpret the stories that culture is telling us. Because sometimes there are truths to them. Again, sometimes it's like a hazy dream. They don't necessarily get it completely right. And, and you can't hang your hat on everything that Hollywood produces, right? Now, I know that Frozen isn't the gospel story, but in it is some truths that parents, if you help not only filter what your kids are watching, but then teach them to filter, teach them to interpret the stories that culture is telling them. This story, I think, has some great redeeming values to it. Not everything that Hollywood produces has any redeeming value, even if they script it according to Scripture and call it Noah. It's not, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying don't be surprised when Hollywood gets it wrong, right? We don't need to pick at them. We just need to go, well, at least they tried. I don't expect people who are not connected to the story of Christ to actually write a really good story of Christ. I don't expect lost people to act like they're found, okay? So let's not get mad at Hollywood when they get it wrong, but let's celebrate and let's point our kids when they do attempt to get it right, and when they get it right, let's point our kids to Scripture. When we help our kids and when we, when we ourselves filter and interpret culture's stories based in the truth of Scripture, that's where it starts. It's got to start with Scripture, and that's where it's got to end. Okay, not everything is whole truth. Sometimes it's partial truth. And you've got to be able, either yourself or for your children, to teach them not only what is right and wrong, that's important, but are we teaching our kids what is wise? You know, those times where things get a little gray and fuzzy and you're not really sure? The question isn't to ask necessarily what's right or wrong, but what is wise? What brings glory to Jesus? You know, when you want to give your kids something good to eat, sometimes it is ice cream and candy, but... Feed your kids right too. Feed them the veggies and the things that they don't necessarily want. Sometimes you need to give them something good to eat. And if the menu is all that's offered on TV or in, in, in uh, the movie theaters, let me point you to some resources. That Version Kids app, a great, great resource for kids. My kids love it. They, the youngest ones play with it and it's interactive. And what about Right Now Media? You can subscribe through c2church.com to Right Now Media that has not only things for adults, but for teens, and they have a whole kids section that my kids have enjoyed exploring, especially Robbie, who loves the cartoons and things like that. Those are some resources that you can begin to train your kids to be able to filter and interpret. We've got to give them the truth so they can understand not only what truth is offered in culture, but the counterfeits, and they can recognize those. So we believe that, I think this frozen story helps us tell the story that we've been in uh, all these months as we've been leading up to Easter. And so if you've got your scripture, go ahead and turn on your Bible or open up your Bible, either way. And we're going to dive into John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses there. John The book of John is kind of about three quarters of the way through the book. Just flip it open. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you get uh, past that, you'll hit Acts and Romans. Back it up a few pages. 
So here it is, John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of Galilee, that's the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, a whole year's, or half a year's wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have them sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had, when they all had had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Can we pray that God would enlighten our minds and our hearts to Scripture this morning? Father, would you cause our, our eyes and ears to be opened to see and to hear you? Would you cause our minds and our hearts to be enlightened to help us interpret and apply your life-giving words through Scripture? It's in the name of Jesus I ask. Amen. Amen. I, I think the story of Frozen really does connect us to this story of the feeding of the 5,000 because here in this moment, the disciples had a choice. And, I, and as I watched the movie Frozen, I understood that the, character, uh, the characters had some choices they had to make. And one of the first choices that both our character in the story of Frozen and in this story of the feeding of the 5,000, the first choice they had to make was fear or love. Fear versus love. And isn't that the, the choice that many of us are faced with in daily choices that we have to make in the decisions we make is either based out of fear or based out of love? You see, in the Frozen story, Elsa discovers that she has the same power when she's fearful as she does when she's full of love. In fact, the power is almost greater when she is acting out of love. And isn't that true of all of us? We have the same amount of power to make choices and decisions. It's just how do we use those powers? If we're, if we're using them out of fear, you can see in the story how she reacts to that. But when she discovers that out of love, she has the same amount of power, great things happen. And we see that with the disciples. They're controlled by fear. In this moment that Jesus sets them up, isn't that how parents are, kids? You know what I mean. They ask you questions that they already know the answers to. You know, parents, you know you're like that. Is that what you're planning on wearing to school today? No, no, this is my warm-up outfit. I'm going to go change and make you late for work. Right? Isn't that how the questions, the silly questions? Parents, you know you're like this. You ask questions, and I have to admit, I've asked these questions too. Do you want to be grounded? Yes, Dad, ground me. I have way too much free time. Please, if you would bestow upon me your grounding. Do you want me to take that cell phone away? Yes, I've been spending way too much time on it. Please take it away from me. We ask these silly questions that we already know the answers to, like, are you going to eat your vegetables? <laughs> Come on. You already know the answer to that. 
But kids, you know, you, you ask silly questions as well. In the car, are we there yet? Hmm? Right? I always tell my kids, no, we're actually, we've actually been here for two hours. We're just driving around because it's so peaceful in the car. <laughs> silly questions that we already know the answers to. So Jesus asked Philip, hey, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? Freak out. Right now, Philip is like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. We got to feed them? Philip immediately looks to his own resources. Philip immediately looks to himself and what he has all of the disciples do. Jesus already knew what he was about to do. He's setting up, setting them up. God likes to mess with you. Right? He, he's funny that way. But what he does in asking this question that he already knew the answer to, he was teaching them. It was, it's called a teachable moment, right? He's exposing their thought process. He's exposing their heart. Their, their reactions are kind of interesting because he asks them, where do we buy food? And Philip says, it's going to take half a year of my wages, of anybody's wages, to even buy for these people. Andrew says, even if what we do have... Only people are going to get a bite. I mean, we won't even have enough. I mean, they're really starting to look to themselves. In fact, this is one miracle that's actually in all four Gospels. And one of the reactions that's recorded is one of them says, Jesus, send these people away. Let them provide for themselves. We, you know, we barely have enough for us. We don't want to share. I mean, we'll run out. And the fear is, in this moment, is what I do have, I won't have enough. I won't have what's mine, Right? Isn't that the fear in our life sometimes? And kids, you can identify. When you go to the birthday party, you want to be first in line so you can get that middle piece that's the really big piece, right? Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We'll go into your world. At a church potluck, you want to be at the front of the line, right, so you can get the fried chicken. Because if you know you're at the end, what are you going to get stuck with? Tater tot hot dish. Amen. (laughs) You know you don't want to get stuck with that stuff. The disciples say, send them away. We don't even have enough for ourselves. And I have to give up what I have? Why why would I do that? I mean, their concern isn't for the people having a bite. Their concern is that they won't have enough for themselves. But here's what I I think, and here's what I, I see in Jesus, is that fear is not good, right? Because fear freezes, Fear freezes us, but love frees us. And in this moment, the disciples, they freeze. This is not a good reaction. They, they freeze like, oh, what about what's mine? But love, it frees us up. As, as Pastor Dave illustrated, it frees us. When we give, it frees us up to co-create, to participate in what God is already at work doing. And when we step into love and use our resources for the benefit of others, so much more is accomplished when we step out of fear into love. But it often takes God to ask that moment where he asks us the silly question to test us, to teach us, and to show us the power of love versus fear over the mind and heart. The heart, if frozen, cannot be easily changed, but the the mind can be persuaded. I want to address both of those things, the mind and the heart. First, the mind. 
One of the things that, Dave, you touched on is this idea of consumerism, this idea of getting. It's so counter uh, scripture that really what he's exposing even in the disciples' heart is their idea of getting or having or keeping. And what he's saying is it's time to change your mindset. He's trying to switch their paradigm. And he says it's better to give. Here in this moment, he's trying to teach them the greatness of giving. And so the dialogue that takes place, where are we going to get money to buy bread? Where should we buy the bread? Oh, we don't know. We don't have the resources. And that's true. The disciples frozen in their concept of how Jesus was going to provide or how they themselves were going to provide. You know, when we hang on to what God has already freely given us, when we hang on to that, we freeze his ability to use us and to do miracles. And the disciples in this moment are frozen. And Philip, his answer reveals that. He's, he understands the enormity of this problem. It's ginormous, right? Did you see that crowd? It's ginormous, right? This is the reaction. And he reveals that his faith is not in Jesus, but rather his faith is in himself and in his own resources. And think about it. These disciples had already seen Jesus do miracles, really astounding miracles, turned water into wine, all these things. The, the greater response would have been from Philip, Lord, I don't know where we're going to feed or how we're going to feed all these people, but, but I, I know you have the resources that I don't. And, and whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. I, I just want to see what you can do through me. Instead, Philip says, we don't have any resources to do that. But I like what Andrew does. Andrew, the, the guy next to speak, says, well, what we do have is, is just meager. It's not very much. It's pretty small. He's going in the right direction, at least. He's saying, here's what we have. How often do you look at the resources that, resources that you have? And you think to yourself, well, it's not very much. What I find interesting is that they, at the end of the story, they have 12 baskets full of extra food. Where did the 12 baskets come from? It seems to me that other people probably had food in this audience. And my guess is that some of these disciples had their own baskets of food and the people who were traveling with them. My guess also is that this boy is familiar to them for what kind of parent would let a bunch of strangers come and take their son and his food, right? I mean, Jesus wouldn't get into the first recorded uh, instance of bullying over a, of a, over a lunch, right? That wouldn't make for a good gospel story. So my guess is that this boy is part of their group, known to them, and he simply offers up, or perhaps they know of his resources. And so they simply gather up the resources that he has, and they begin to bring it to Jesus. Isn't that the best thing you can do? Because listen, what you have in your hand is all that you have in your hand. But when, what you have in your hand given to Jesus is so much bigger. I need a penny. Does anybody have a penny in this room? You have a penny? I have so many hands. All right, come on up here. What's your name? Addie. Addie. This is not my daughter. She was in first service. I need a penny. Is that a real penny? Can you bite it? Lick it? You got to show everybody that it's real. All right, so I've got a, a magic handkerchief, okay? All right. Now, is that a real penny? Really? Okay. Yep, it's real. Okay. Are you ready? All right, stand over here so everybody over there can see, all right? I'm going to put it right here in my fingers. Okay, are you ready? Okay, and do you know some magic words? What are the magic words? Please and thank you. 
Abracadabra, that's a better one. Okay, ready? Wait, you got to wave your hand. Wave your hand. There you go. Uh, no, you got to do it clockwise. That's good enough. All right, here we go. So, you said the magic words, right? All right, here we go. Uh-oh. Look at that. Is that a real penny? Yeah, bite it. Lick it. No? All right, you can take it to your seat with you. I need it back later, though. I'm telling you, the resources that you have in your hand are just the resources you have in your hand. But the resources you have in your hands, given into Jesus' hands, are so much bigger. In the recording of this story, Jesus says in one of the recordings, bring what you have to me. Bring it to me. When you take your resources to Jesus and trust him with it, he can do so much more. And though you think your gift is small, it doesn't matter the size of the gift. Our kids are giving pennies and nickels and they're putting them in these collection containers to be added to other kids. And we can do so much greater, each one of us trusting that what we give to Jesus, he can use for his kingdom and multiply it for his purposes. And adults, it's the same with us. We say to ourselves, well, my, my tithe doesn't matter. When I give to the church, it's just, it's very little. They won't miss it. It won't matter. But I'm telling you, when you trust Jesus and you begin to tithe, when you begin to give your $25, your $10, or your $100 to missions each month, it doesn't matter the amount because when you commit it to Jesus, he can do so much more. Do you believe that this morning? Let's take another off. No, we're going to do that later. I'm telling you, though, in my own life, I've experienced this. When it doesn't make sense, because my mind says, if I give money to the church or to something that is kingdom-oriented, I will have less for myself. But what I see in Scripture and what I've experienced in my own life is that when I give to kingdom causes, I have all that I need and I have more. It doesn't make sense. And the only way to retrain your mind, remember, the mind can be persuaded, Disney told us, The mind can be persuaded, but only through action. The mind will only be persuaded through action, not by telling yourself, oh, someday I'll do that and it'll be true. Do not have a believing unbelief system by where you proclaim God as king, but you refuse to obey him. Amen. Come on, preach it. I will. It doesn't matter the size of the gift. Bring it to Jesus. What you have in your hands is only what you have in your hands. And that mind can be persuaded we have more think about the end of that story the disciples are instructed having given away what wasn't theirs to begin with are now instructed to gather and they collect more than they started with do you trust that when jesus when you go to jesus even if you have nothing you give him what little you have is it possible is it possible that he could actually bless you beyond what your need is so that you would have more abundance to continue investing in his kingdom? I believe it. Okay, three of us believe it today. I'm telling you, church, it's true. Begin to walk that out because the scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. Even the boy who gave up his lunch had more. Even he was provided for. And the last thing we see in this story of Frozen is this choice between sacrifice and self. Between sacrifice and self. We see in the story there, the first clip you saw, Elsa and Anna. Anna saves Elsa with a true act of love. 
You know Disney throughout the story is leading you to believe that this true act of love that would thaw her heart was going to be kissing a boy. Isn't that just like Disney to lead you to believe that kissing a boy will make everything better? Girls in this room, listen to me. Kissing a boy will not make everything better. In fact, it will probably make it worse. And in this story, they lead you to believe that a true love's kiss will solve all the problems. And yet, in this moment that you saw on the screen earlier, we see that it's a true act of self-giving love. We call it sacrifice. There's no greater gift than sacrifice. It's the only way to thaw a frozen heart. Is your heart frozen this morning? Has something damaged that creativeness, that willingness to partner with God through giving and sacrifice? Listen, what Jesus was doing with his disciples, this wasn't some sort of Jedi mind trick, okay? It was a Jesus trust teaching opportunity. He wanted to teach them to trust him. And what he revealed in their heart was they didn't trust him. Though they followed him, they did not trust him. And only acts of true love break through my selfish desires in my heart. That's the truth. Only acts of true love will break through my selfish desires. It will retrain my heart. It's not what you think that often will break through. It's those true acts of love. What God gives you, which you did not provide for yourself, is not to be hoarded, but to be given away. What the disciples had to begin with didn't even belong to them. It belonged to some boy. And the boy gives it to them. Can we learn something from kids? You betcha. We learn in this moment an act of faith, a very small act, but very meaningful. I don't think those disciples walked away unchanged that day. And everyone's needs are met. The boy's needs, the disciples' needs, the crowd's needs. They were all met. There was extra And at the end of this, it says that Jesus got away from the crowd because he knew what they were thinking, that they would try to make him king by force, and so he fled. And then later in the chapter, he he confronts them as they chase after him because they're asking for more signs. They want more bread. And he confronts them. He begins to challenge their thinking. And then he finally says to them, listen, the bread that you long for, the stuff that I gave you that filled your stomach, that's not what you really need. He says these words. He says, I am the bread of life. He who eats of the bread that I give will never go hungry. And of course, they're like, dude, give me that foot-long subway right now. Give it to us all the time. He says, no, 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 no. This is spiritual food. The food that you long for goes in your stomach and disappears, and you're hungry again. But the food that I provide, you will never go hungry. Is that what you're looking for in your life? Even these people recognized who Jesus was. They called him a prophet. They looked to him as the Messiah. These were uneducated people, but they knew enough of what the prophets had told in the old stories that one would come like Moses. Moses fed the people in the desert with manna, bread from heaven, like Elijah who provided bread for a widow. They knew and they saw in Jesus the king, the Messiah, and they were going to make him king by force. Have you made Jesus king by force in your life? Well, whatever do you mean, pastor? 
I mean, have you made him king by force that he might do your will? That's what they mean by making Jesus king by force is that he would do their will. And I tell you, Jesus will not be your king by force, nor will he force you to be his king. Let me rephrase that. That was totally wrong. Nor will he force himself on you to be your king. You can't force him to be your king, to do your will, nor will he force you. You must choose. And it comes with sacrifice. They wanted him to be king, and he said, Listen, I am king, but not the way you think I'm king. He came to give them something more than bread for their stomach. He came to fill their empty heart and their empty soul. And he spoke of sacrifice. And he spoke of this sign, that he was the sign. And that while they're begging for a sign, right? How many of you have ever been to Disney World? All right. Or someplace cool like that. <laughs> Jeff City, Chick-fil-A. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you see the signs saying, Chick-fil-A, three miles. Chick-fil-A, two miles. And when you get there, you don't grab the sign and go, oh, thank you for the sign. Let's get back in the car and go home. No, you go into the store and you get yourself 12 nuggets or a sandwich or whatever. Waffle fries, amen. <laughs> you don't have any need for the sign because you have what you have longed for. And these people were longing for signs and Jesus is saying, look, all those signs, I- I'm the ultimate sign. I'm what you're longing for. And in the end, he's saying, I am the bread of life. Not for physical provision, but to fill your heart and soul. So I'm asking you this morning, church, do you need to be unfrozen? Can you trust Jesus with your life? And if you can trust him with your life, can you trust him with your stuff? Kids, that's a big lesson to learn is to trust Jesus, not only with your life, that someday you might go to heaven, but that you trust him on this earth, that your life now makes a difference and that he's using your life and using your gifts and using the resources that he's provided for you. And parents, do you trust Jesus with your life, with your resources? I know how much money we spend on our kids for birthdays and for Christmas, and we try to show them how much we love them. And what we're doing unintentionally sometimes is teaching them consumerism. We're teaching them consumerism. Are you taking that same amount of energy to teach them to be generous in giving and using of your resources for the kingdom of God? Are you showing them when you write the tithe check, we're trusting that God is our resource, that he alone provides for us? Are you helping them to understand as they earn money, as you give them coins for BGMC and fill their little jar thing, buddy barrel, whatever they call them, Are you teaching them? Are you taking the same amount of energy that you are shopping for birthdays and Christmas as you are in teaching them about the almighty resource that's available as you learn to give? I love BGMC because it's teaching our children to give to God's kingdom, to reach people with the gospel. Did you know that C2 Church has a great life groups ministry to help you connect with a small group of other people? To find out more, email lifegroups at c2church.com or visit our website at www.c2church.com backslash lifegroups.